So, uh, hey, Tyler. Hey, Colin. How are you doing? I'm great. How's things? Oh, you know, just living the dream. Yeah. Bonbons and, uh, what's the other thing that you normally have with bonbons? Whiskey. What? Okay. Uh, what, uh yeah. Isn't that, there's an expression. You're drinking bonbons and never mind. You're yeah. from the North. I yeah. don't know that expression. Where it's fall, apparently. I'm wearing a sweatshirt and I'm I'm bundled up. So nice. It's uh currently seventy five and rainy here. Well, okay, I don't feel too bad. No. So um as as you said, you're you're living the indie dream. Um the indie dream comes with some responsibilities, you know, like any great power. Um one of those responsibilities is is keeping your software updated. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's basically your job is to update the software you produce so people continue buying it. So it continues working. It's what you do day in and day out as you update your software. So, um, before we get into the nitty gritty, I want to just at a high level, what responsibility is, is, do you feel for updating your software? Like, do you feel like, Someone's bought my software. I owe them updates for, you know, the foreseeable future or because they're like you you said it as if, um, well, I have to do that, but you could take a view that I could just invest all my time in developing new, um, sales opportunities, you know, that is, that is true. But I would counter that by saying the chances of you stumbling upon a new product line that is, is as successful as what you've already got is slim to none. So it's better to grow your existing business and try and grow profits from that versus taking a chance and trying to find something new. Not that you can never do something new. There's value in that. But if you have something that's already working for you, keep hitting it, keep hammering away at it. And now that's a conversation that may also be very different if you're an iOS developer, for example. Yeah. Um, where it's a breadth instead of depth sort of argument for a lot of people. True. Um, so in terms of your, your well, let's, let's talk first off um, how you actually handle updating your applications because I think that's an interesting brief conversation. Um, are you using Sparkle? Yeah, I've been using Sparkle since 2006, and I followed it through all of its updates. I moved to Sparkle Plus for a while, which was a fork that came out of the original Sparkle project that allowed for um, demographic stats about CPUs and RAM usage and screen sizes and stuff like that. And eventually that got rolled back into the proper Sparkle project a few years ago. So now I'm back on Sparkle Mainline and using that successfully. And it's been great. Yes. I've used it to update a standard Mac application and I've used it to update a system preference pane. So it's worked great in both cases. Cool. Yeah. I mean, it's been fairly problem free for years and years. And, and once you've got your web stuff set up to manage it, it's pretty painless. Yeah. I keep all of my binaries hosted on S3. So in the rare chance that I get publicity on hacker news or somewhere my website may go down, but people will still be able to download the software. Yeah. Very cool. Um, and how do you think about updating your software? Like, um, 
how do you split your time between new features and, you know, bug fixes and, and just what is your general philosophy about maintenance? My customers probably won't like to hear this if they're listening to the show, but my philosophy has changed over the years. When I came out with version 1.0 of virtual host X, I was very conscious about wanting to grow the product as quickly as possible. So I was constantly pushing out new updates and new features and just trying to grow the product to be what it is today. And that lasted up and through version probably around 4.0. And once 4 came out, I realized I was in a position to make more money driving upgrades than I was driving new users for the most part. So now when I release a major new update, let's I'm currently on version six. Anyone who buys version six gets all the six dot whatever updates for free. And for the most part, those updates are very minor new features and bug fixes. I save all of my major new features for the next major version release, which I do about once a year or every 18 months. So for existing customers, when that major new version comes out, they get a huge 50% discount on the new version, or they don't have to upgrade if they don't want to. But for me, I have moved from new features every so often as I build them to holding them back just for the major new releases. And once you've released um, version six, for example, would anything ever cause you to go back and push an update for five or is it totally dead at that point? It's dead in my mind. I have pushed a few compatibility fixes occasionally when it's simple to do. But for the most part, my software works across multiple versions of OS X. So I'm of the opinion if 5.0 stops working for you, just get six. Yeah, it's, it's the one that's supported. I mean, I don't have the resources that like Apple does to continue supporting 1068 with right. security patches like they do. Uh, living the dream. Yep, living the dream. We still ship one app that does run on 106 and it's <laughs> Um and and that's interesting because I think you you're much more aggressive about revving your apps than we've been at Divergent Media for example. Um and I think some of that may just be um some of it's industry specific. Some of it I think is like laziness on our part um, in, in that revving like releasing a new version takes a bunch of effort outside of just development. You know, yeah. you're creating new material, branding materials, you're, you know, dealing with backend stuff in terms of store updates and how you manage all of that. Um, Documentation, I- updating the marketing website, just getting the word out there that there's a new release available. It all takes time. Yeah. Do you feel like you have that pretty well? I mean, is that automated for the most part on your end? Is, is you know, adding version 8.0, you know, something you can do just point and click through a web interface on? You know, the- for, the, for the most part. So my workflow is I have my own management backend PHP application, which I've talked about in the past called Shine. It's an open source project. And so each major version of each application I sell has its own database record that everything stems from. So when it's time to do a major update, I basically duplicate the previous version, update the licensing keys that generate the serial numbers, and I can basically have a new app on my store ready to sell in just a few hours. So it doesn't take much work now that I've been doing this for so long. 
that's pretty awesome. We are not so fortunate. Um, what, so in terms of the actual, um, in, in version updates, the point releases, um, what is your philosophy on sort of upgrade fatigue and how often you'll push out a, you know, a minor fix versus collecting together a bunch of fixes? Do you, do you worry about that? No, I have no problem with update fatigue. Um, if just last week I pushed a small fix and if something were to come up today that I was able to do quickly, I would have no problem pushing another update. Mm-hmm. Now, would I want to push something every day? No, but I have in the past when there's been something critical. I know I've pushed three releases in three days before, wow. but that's not likely to happen very often. At the at my at my busiest schedule, it's about one every two weeks, up to one every three or four months if it just there's nothing happening. Right. And aside from the um, when when you put out a, a hundredth release, for example, aside from the in-app update, do you do any sort of you know promotion of that? Do you put it on Twitter? Do you put up blog posts? Yeah. Every new release gets a, tw- gets a tweet and then that gets retweeted by a couple customers tech. Usually they get the in-app sparkle notification update. And then if there are any new features, I blog about it. And so, and also goes out to my mailing list. Mm-hmm. And in terms of your actual, um, and I, I know we don't want to get too deep into the development, but, um, do you sort of mentally you know switch back and forth between bug fix mode versus new development mode or do you keep you know your sort of version your next full release version going for a while uh while you're also releasing updates you know are you developing in parallel i release new updates every fall along with the major new update every fall along with the release of the newest os 10 and so from october to about April or May, it's primarily just bug fixes and small features. And then around the beginning of the summer, that's when I start thinking about the next major release. And so I'll break off from that and start a new branch and build the next major version and then release smaller minor updates to the existing one only if necessary. But once summer comes along, I'm done with the old version and it's just full steam ahead on what's new. And do you allow your users to skip an update and still get upgrade pricing? Yeah, I go back and forth about that occasionally because I do have customers who are literally somehow still on version 1.0 or they bought 1.0 and stopped using it. And then they come and they want a 50% discount for version 6. And I allow them to have that because I'm a nice guy and I don't want to be a dick about it. But I do kind of wish... I did have a cutoff point for when you do have to pay the full price again, because these 1.0 customers bought my app for $7 in 2006. And then they're wanting 30 bucks off a product in 2015. You know, it kind of rubs me the wrong way about I let it happen regardless. Cause I'd rather than be happy. Yeah. Pretty much the same boat here is we have users who bought in 2007 and will come back and, you know, sometimes, um, they'll actually still just do an automated upgrade through our store. And so we'll just see the record go through and it's, you know, it, it's a one-time thing. So it's copies that have never been upgraded before, but it's pretty amazing. Um, that someone held onto it for so long and then is now looking to move up. Yeah, but it makes me happy knowing that, you know, six, seven, eight years later, they're still wanting to use my product. That means it made an impact on their workflow and it's useful to them. So that's gratifying. So I'm I'm happy when I see those upgrade orders come through. Absolutely. 
Now, um, you mentioned that you do your upgrades every fall, uh, your big updates. Um, presumably that's in keeping with uh, Apple's recent release cycle. Do you specifically look to target the new OS releases for new features that take advantage of that? Or is it just a convenient sort of timing thing? Just a convenient timing. I like to piggyback on top of their general marketing for the new upgrades because I write web development software. So it's not like adding full screen support to my app was really a key selling point. <laughs> it's it's not like I'm really going to take advantage of the latest additions to core data. So it's really just piggybacking on top of their marketing push. And how is LCAP looking for you? Looks good so far. Uh, I was really, really worried about rootless mode. Um, so for those who don't know, that's the new security system in place that literally will not allow any user, including root, to modify certain system files. And so I was really worried that that would encompass uh, all the Apache configuration files. And then I would be out of business because if I can't touch it, if root can't touch it, then there's nothing I can do. But fortunately, those have been whitelisted as far as I can tell in the current beta release. So we're good to go. Yeah, it seems like they're they're less concerned with things like config files and more concerned with, you know, patching system stuff like kernel extent. Well, kernel extensions are different, I guess, because they're handled with signing anyways. But, um, you know, user bin and those kinds of yeah. things. It has impacted um, some of the software I do rely on, um, particularly VirtualBox and Vagrant, which one of my apps interfaces with are right now broken on LCAP because their installers are still trying to write to user bin mm, where yeah. now they need to go to, I think user bin local. Right. Yeah. User local, yeah. which they should have been doing all, all, all along. They should have been doing, but and, they're not. And yeah. I think Apple tried to sort of send a message with Yosemite because they were a little more aggressive about how they dealt with files that were in places they shouldn't have been during that upgrade. If you were coming from Mavericks to Yosemite. Um, but you know, I, I think it's it's probably a good change because the the Unix system has mechanisms in place to do all these things already. Um, so slightly off topic, but I whatever. It does make me happy and a little worried to see rootless mode. On one hand, I'm worried because does that mean that in the future things are going to become even more locked down, or? Is this them preparing to do something wonderful like get rid of sandboxing because it's a joke and it doesn't work? And this is going to be their new security system in place of sandboxing. So I'm both worried and optimistic at the same time. That's a very work. optimistic take. I haven't heard anyone propose that. I, uh, if, if that's the game they're playing, that's a really long game because they'd have to get us to the point that we're, you know, all running El Capper later, I would think. Yeah. Um, which doesn't take that long nowadays I suppose I don't know um, yeah the, the the Mac App Store messes don't even give me that's that's another podcast discussion yeah although when it comes to this conversation of updating it is a, a mess that we still deal with and it's it's pretty unpleasant um, of you know for a while we used to hold releases so that we could release in parallel when App Store approval came through and, and eventually just gave up on that and said we release to our direct customers when we're ready and the App Store customers get an update when Apple's ready. And I agree. That's the way it should be because if nothing else, that encourages people to go the direct route, which is better for us overall anyway. Yeah. So why not? It's just, 
I don't, it, yeah. I don't think anybody is is doing parallel releases anymore. I think they all push the direct now first, even yeah. if they were doing parallel to begin with. I know Omni's not. I don't think Panic is. I don't know of anybody that's doing it. Yeah, and it's. I mean, it's. There's been a lot written recently about the sort of decline of the app store, so I don't know that we need to rehash it. But it's very, very real in my experience as a consumer, um, and unfortunate. But yeah. Oh well. So um, when you think about you know, uh, fixing issues and, and those sorts of things in, in an app. Um, do you have to sort of, do you ever make a judgment about whether an issue, you know, rises to the point of needing to be fixed? If someone's running into a very specific sort of edge case, um, where you know that it is solvable, would you ever make the decision not to solve it because that time is better spent on other things? Very rarely. If it's a bug, I want it fixed. Just I, simply yeah. put. I've often thought about that because I think that's a, a type of calculation that happens at larger development firms that just doesn't really happen happen in indie development. I mean, I've got, you know, radars filed for, you know, 10 years of, of things that are documented bugs um, that will never be fixed because they will never be of a sufficient value to be fixed. Um but that sort of calculus, I don't know where exactly that calculus changes, but it definitely does seem to change. I think we, by definition, because we're smaller companies, we have to rely on our users' support more simply because we have fewer of them. We can't afford to let them atrophy and be bug-ridden. We have to fix them. Yeah. Um speaking of this this case of edge cases and, and updates i guess um we've talked a little bit maybe in the past about the the world of the hackintosh does that ever impact you in um your development no i've never heard one thing about it ever okay i wasn't sure if the on the vagrant side if there were virtual box issues with some of the non-official macs out there does that affect you yeah i mean um because our apps are gpu heavy if you're running a gpu that's not quite the one that the driver apple road is intended for and you've you know hacked the binary driver or done whatever they do to make hackintosh's work um we run into cases where like oh it turns out that card doesn't support that OpenGL extension or something um that the driver says it does because the driver's for a different card um and you get all kinds of weird kernel panics and you know very strange stuff yeah i can see why that's a big deal for you guys it's it's frustrating it's i mean it's one of those things that's that's fine it's just frustrating if it's like a couple hours into a support ticket when someone says oh by the way this is a hackintosh um (laughs) you know then we can deal with it in a different way and i i struggle with that like i i don't know i don't know what my feelings are towards people who are doing hackintoshes um (laughs) Would you give a refund for somebody who's having trouble on a Hackintosh? Yeah, but I mean, we give refunds for anything. It, like, it's no questions asked, two weeks. Um, so presumably they've run into the issue by then. Yeah. Um, but I do, like, to, I just wonder, um, you know, it's it's hard when you see people, like, you, you have to assume that you're running a pirate copy of OS ten. I think, on a Hackintosh because I don't think there's any way to buy os 10 anymore no so um i don't know you know we see that with our customers too i see customers running what i presume are pirated copies of the adobe apps um 
and it's hard because they they bought our app so they're not stealing our stuff but when i see them stealing other people's stuff i'm still troubled by that i see that all the time because anytime somebody has an issue with one of my apps I ask them to go to the file menu and create a backup of their settings. It's all automated and email me that file. And so that packages up the relevant system configuration files. And one of those files is Etsy hosts. And that's the easiest way to crack Adobe is to zero out all of the Adobe activation servers. So when they send me these backup files for help and I open them up and I'm scanning for any issues four out of 10 times, I see the Adobe servers are nulled out. So I know they're pirating that software. Yeah. And I've never said anything to anybody about it, but it is kind of funny to me. It's just, there it is. Yeah. And if they're pirating Adobe, are they going to pirate mine? Exactly. Uh, I mean, that's often what I wonder is, you know, is it just because it was too inconvenient or? Is there a price point that they're just not comfortable paying for and mine happens to be underneath it, luckily? Oh, huh. well, that's probably a, a, an entirely different conversation, but um, it is an, an odd sort of set of personal feelings that I struggle with. <laughs> um, let's see, what else on the topic of updates should we... Do you, how do you handle talking about future features and oh, whether, yeah. or not you'll, whether or not you'll implement them? Uh, almost always try to avoid or use fairly loose language like that's something we're investigating or we think that's a great feature and we're definitely looking at it. Um, users will often turn around and push back on those things saying like, what's your timeline? Is that going to be, you know, in our case in the industry, it's often like I have a shoot next week. Is that going to be ready by next week? Um, but yeah, in almost every case we avoid mentioning that stuff unless it's something like, you know, some big industry shift, like a new format and, you know, we know we need to be there. Um, in that case, we might say something, but, um, it's, it's hard because you just, you don't want to end up in a situation where you've put out a promise and then you decide for whatever reason not to keep it because users will bring it back up to you. Yeah. The only thing I promise to fix in emails and another tech support are bugs. Uh, if a customer comes to me with a bug, I know I can fix. I'll say it's not ready yet, but I'll let you know what it is. I file a ticket in my system, connecting that ticket with their email address. And then hopefully when I get it fixed soon, I'll just send them a quick note letting them know, hey, by the way, this version is out. It fixes your bug. And that level of care goes a really, really long way to making them happy with the software, getting that personal touch. But as far as new features, I'm like you. I don't promise anything. I thank them for the suggestion and just simply say, we're looking at it. Yeah. It's, um, we definitely do the same thing. So we have within Zendesk, there's an integration to like create a GitHub issue and then we'll, that'll be a way for us to track, you know, whoever requested it all the way back to when the issue's closed and then we'll ping them and that that's really excellent. Um, but you know, it's, it's hard because it can be tempting to say, yeah, that's, that's definitely going to come in the future or, um, you know, we're, we're about six months out on that. Um, because that can sometimes be the difference between someone buying today and someone not buying at all. Like a lot of times customers would buy if you said like, well, it doesn't do it today, but it's going to, and you know, it solves your other needs right now. Um, but I, I just, it's a small, we're a small enough team that 
if we decide to focus on just one other feature that can dramatically slip a schedule um, from, you know, six months out to a year out. Um, So just can't, can't get into it, I guess, but, and we don't do any sort of public betas um, or really much of anything. We try and keep quiet about that stuff until we ship. Um, Have you done public betas? Yeah. And I've regretted it every time. Why? I don't get the level of feedback that I would like to make it worth my time. And back when I did more consumer apps rather than apps for developers, I had this one product that I was competing with and I did a very, very loose open beta. It was still private, but there were like 300 people in it. And I released all these new features to the beta channel and then three months went by and I was getting ready for a release. And then my competitor just suddenly drops this update and it had every one of my new features almost exactly as I had implemented them. Ouch. And at that point, I just got a really sour taste in my mouth because I knew somebody was feeding. Not that, I mean, the developer is free to do it. It's not like I had a copyright on my ideas or anything, but it left a sour taste in my mouth. Yeah. That's rough. Yeah, we haven't we haven't experienced that. We've just experienced, you know, when we've even done very small betas to selected groups of users, found that you just don't get meaningful feedback and it doesn't do what you want it to do. And it's it's better to have a bunch of Macs to test on locally or, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. So well, um someone has started nailing outside my window, so sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I don't know if I have any other thoughts. I think this is a very concise topic. I mean, it just yeah, it's sort of you do what seems right, and yeah. Cool. So yeah. should we wrap it up? I think I think we can do that. Um, I'll press the stop button.